This is the People Make Things podcast, a behind-the-scenes look at the modern entertainment industry. I'm your host, Christopher Natsume. I'm a game developer, I'm a podcaster, I'm a live streamer, and I'm also an entrepreneur. The internet knows me a little bit better as Night Squirrels. jump right into it today because I got some stuff I need to talk about. Recently, I returned from Tehran, the capital of Iran. I was there at the invitation of the Iranian government who were running the Tehran game convention. They are the largest sort of funder of that and organizing body of that. It's run by the uh, Iranian Computer and Video Game Foundation, which is uh, funded and, and run by the Ministry of Culture from the Iranian government. So I was just in Iran at the invitation of the Iranian government. And let me go on the record as saying I had a wonderful time. They treated me like a king. I've never been uh, so comfortable and so happy going to a country. I've never been treated better by a national government than I was by the Iranian government. Now, this morning I woke up and my wife comes in my room and she was like, did you hear? Did you hear? And I was like, did I hear about what? And she said, just today there was a guy in Iran, an American guy in Iran that just got arrested for spying and put in jail for 10 years. And he was just some researcher. So I went and looked it up and it's, it's true. There was a researcher who, uh, who was arrested by the Iranian government and put in jail today for 10 years, uh, allegedly for spying. I don't know much about this story and I think most people who read the news don't know much about this story because not a lot's been revealed. Uh, obviously, I don't know if he was in the right or the wrong. I don't know the details and I'm not going to pretend to know the details. But the the short thing I want to talk about today was my wife was like, oh my God, aren't you happy that you're safe back in Japan now? And I, I thought to myself, huh, not really. I mean, I'm, I'm happy I'm back in Japan. I mean, it's just nice to be back and I'm happy to be home. But am I happy to be home in the sense that, oh, my God, I'm so worried I was about to be arrested and boy, did I just get out of there in time? No, no, I don't I don't really feel that at all. And And the reason I don't feel that is because I travel a lot. I've been to a lot of places. I've been to like 26 different countries and some of them pretty questionable places. And if you want to, You could find examples of things like this in a lot of the places that I've been. I've been to China numerous times. I have every intention of going back to China later. And there's certainly been people arrested by the Chinese government and held by the Chinese government for highly questionable reasons and purposes. That happens every year. It happens every month. I've been to Thailand. I go to Thailand frequently. I love Thailand. It's a beautiful country with beautiful people. And I I enjoy my time there. Every year, foreigners and Thai get... Uh, picked up by the Thai government for ridiculous laws that don't allow you to say anything critical at all about the king of Thailand. Laws that by any rational explanation are completely absurd and have no place in a modern world. But they still exist and they're still defended quite strongly. And there are people right now doing time in Thailand for making the mistake of speaking out against those laws. In point of fact, should the Thai government hear this podcast I'm probably in violation of those laws here and probably putting myself in danger in Thailand if they, if anyone ever gave a shit about this bullshit little podcast, which I'm sure that they don't. Um, I've been to the Philippines and there have been untold numbers of people picked up and treated terribly by highly corrupt members of both the local and the federal Philippine governments. There are thousands of people that have been killed 
uh, by extrajudicial groups uh, in Thailand since the last election. And that's, that's highly questionable. And none of this touches on just the basic safety issues of traveling in, in anywhere. You know, certainly for people in America, the, the, your chances of getting shot, uh, and, and not necessarily by criminals, possibly by cops, are particularly high, especially if you happen to be black. There's a whole world of stuff that we could look at that is frightening in the world. And I think about these fears, and I think about the way that the press pushes these fears, and the way that the media pushes this, and the way that everybody seems to think that the world is so unsafe. But I've been to a whole bunch of the world, and I'm here to tell you, yeah, it's unsafe. Bad shit happens. But God, don't let that make you stay home. I mean, by all means, travel with your with your head screwed on and, and be aware of what's going on around you. But the idea that you're just going to stay home and read the news about how terrible it is out there and how I don't feel safe going anywhere, that's what they want. And, and let me expound on that. I, I was thinking recently about the recent terror attacks in London. For those of you who remember, there were a, a couple uh, folks who got in a van and drove a van into a crowd of people and killed a bunch of people by slamming into them with a van. And then they jumped out of the van and attacked people with knives and did a great deal of damage that way as well. And I thought to myself, well, what the fuck was the point of that? I mean, what was their what was their end game? How do they win? I mean, we well, don't hear that very often. You hear about, oh, this is bad or whatever, but nobody ever asked the question like, what... What the fuck was their plan? How did? What's the end goal there that things work out well for them? How do they win? I mean, did they really think that they were going to conquer all of London with a with a van and some knives? Of course not. Nobody's that stupid. Did they think that other people were going to join in and oh my goodness, now's our time to drive vans into each other and attack each other with knives? Let's all go. No, of course they didn't think that was going to happen. They knew when they did that what was going to happen. Exactly what did happen. They were going to do some damage. They were going to kill some people. They're going to hurt a lot of other people. And then they were going to get killed. And that was going to be the end of it. So why the fuck would you do that, knowing that? Well, they did that because they found the instructions for how to do that on the internet. Um, it was suggested to them by, by ISIS. As with a number of such attacks, and we could go through hundreds of these cases of somebody putting a bomb on a plane or somebody walking into a bus in Palestine with a bunch of explosives strapped to them or blah, blah, blah. What, what's the end point? Why does ISIS or, or the Al-Qaeda or whoever the hell you are, what, what do they want? What, what, what does this get them? And the answer is pretty easy to find. If you want to find the answer, all you got to do is go listen to them. You can go read their materials. You can actually go listen to one of the fabulous mixtapes that uh, what's his name from Al-Qaeda made from his cave. Um, basically, the idea is they want us to think of them as them. And they want to separate the world into us and them. When they can convince the governments of the world and the powers of the world and the large armies of the world that the Muslim world is the enemy, when they can come up with that, when they can force us to think that, then they can go to the Muslim world and say, see, America is your enemy, England is your enemy, the domestic, domestic, sorry, the, 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 the Western world is your enemy, and the enemy of your enemy is your friend, and we're the enemy of the Western world, so we must be your friend. The idea is to create an enormous recruiting tool. And and when I think about this, I think back to when I was a kid and I went to high school in Texas. And for those of you who went to high school in Texas, 
it was all about football. It was all about high school football teams. There was nothing bigger in my high school than whether or not the North Garland Red Raiders won or lost the Friday night football game. That was a my God, the world could have ended, but as long as we knew whether or not the football team had won, that that's what mattered. Didn't matter to me much. I wasn't much in the sports, but for the vast majority of the school, that was really, really important. But here's the thing, I didn't choose to be on the North Garland side. I just happened to be born in the district that sent kids to North Garland High School. Had I been born literally 100 meters on the other side of a road, I would have been in the Richardson School District, and I would have gone to an entirely different high school. But because I was born over on this side of the road, my family chose to you know, buy a house on this side of the road. Well, I was in the North Garland School District, and I, I, was a, I had to show team spirit for my team, the fighting Red Raiders of North Garland. And that seemed so absurd to me at the time. And it seems even more absurd to me now that I was supposed to support a group just because of where my parents had decided to put their house. That seemed ridiculous. What if the other team was better? What if they worked harder? What if they deserved to win? What if what if the other team had a, a coach who, who was just a much better human being? What if the other team did like huge amounts of volunteer hours and my team actually were a bunch of coke addicts that used to date rape girls on weekends? Do I still have to support my team? And before you laugh, I encourage you to look at professional sports. As a guy born and raised right outside of Dallas, Texas, you damn well better be sure I had to be a Cowboys fan, right? If you walked around Dallas saying that you were a Redskins fan, you were looking for a beaten. But you know what? When I grew up in Texas, the Dallas Cowboys were a very uh, good team. That was back in the days of Emmett Smith and Troy Aikman. I mean, they, we, we won some Super Bowls and stuff. But you know what? They were a... They were a drug-using, girlfriend-raping, wife-beating bunch of assholes. There were some terrible people on that team at that time. And I can remember thinking, like, I really have to support these this bunch of dickheads just because they, they happen to be the team from the town where my dad could get a job? Does that make sense to anyone? But no, that's how it is. And it doesn't matter that it was a terrible team. It doesn't matter that it was owned by Jimmy Johnson. Who? Come on, Jimmy Johnson, how the fuck can you... Who wants to be on that guy's team? Shit, Jerry Jones? Holy crap, that guy's a cocksucker. Everybody, every, Texans hate Jerry Jones. Everybody hates Jerry Jones, but we're still Cowboys fans? Why? It doesn't make any goddamn sense. But this way of thinking, this this my team and I got to support it no matter what is what we're given. This is what we're taught from the time that we're very young. And we, and I, I don't know if it's planned or I, you know, I'm not going to put on my tinfoil conspiracy hat, but I certainly know that it does work out that for Americans that transfers into the American ideal of patriotism, which is I support my country and I support my team no matter what. And that's what patriotism is all about. That's a scary thing to teach people. That's kind of like what the fascists taught us. That's that's not a healthy way to think. But it is what we are taught from the time we're very young. It's interesting when you go look at the data about Republicans and Democrats in America. And I'm not going to say that one's better or worse. I'm not going to go there for this discussion. But what I will say is you can determine whether or not somebody's going to be a Democrat or Republican. You know, not, not for one particular human being, but on average for groups you can determine it pretty quickly based on whether or not their parents were Democrats or Republicans and based on whether or not the neighborhood where they were raised was Democratic or Republican. You're probably going to fall into that group based on those two criteria largely. And here's the other thing. Once you've fallen into one of those two groups, you're highly unlikely to ever leave it. 
Most people who vote Democrat or Republican in their first election will continue to vote Democrat or Republican for every election until they die. That's a fact. I'm not making that up. Go look it up. And it makes you really question when you look at the enormous policy changes that these two sides have had, when you look at the the enormous difference between human beings that have run on either side, and certainly in the most recent election, um, you know, they're, they're, say what you will about the Republicans, they have been a conservative party that voted a conservative religious line for generations, and they elected a casino-owning guy who runs the Miss America pageant? Does that make sense to anybody? I don't, I mean, I, I struggle to get that. I mean, even, even aside from the fact that he, you know, we can go all into what kind of person Trump is, but it seems very strange to me that people who are, you know, and I'm not going to say it's right or wrong, but I'm going to say that people who are diametrically opposed to everything that this man stands for are some of his largest supporters based on this idea that that's the team that I'm a part of and I got to support my team right or wrong. When some guy drives a van into a bunch of people in London and then attacks a bunch of people with a knife, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to define teams for you. They're trying to force you to say, I'm not on this team. I'm not on that team. That Muslim team is not my team. I'm against that team. And it doesn't matter that there's literally... Hundreds of millions of Muslims that hate all of this shit, that want nothing to do with any of this shit. They all get lumped into that same category. And that's the goal. That's what they're trying to do. This fear that keeps us apart, this us versus them way of thinking that keeps us apart, this is the heart of the modern world. And if we don't open our eyes and see it, we're doomed to fall into exactly the patterns that they want us to fall into. When I was in Iran, I had a, a revelation of sorts. And it's, it's stupid for me to say it out loud now, because when you say it out loud and you talk about it, you think, well, that's not a revelation, Chris. That's just common fucking sense. But I'm going to tell you about it, because I hadn't actually thought about this piece of common fucking sense until I was there. I hadn't actively thought about it. I didn't know much about Iranian politics. I didn't spend much time uh, looking in. It just didn't. It wasn't on my radar of stuff to think about, right? It's not that I, I, you know, had wrong ideas. I just had no ideas because I didn't think about it. But you go to a country, you start asking questions, you kind of know what's going on. It's, it's, it's the shortest thing you try to do. So apparently, recently, the Iranian people have elected a moderate, and they are trying. There, there are people in Iran who are trying actively to reform their government, to open up the country to more international business, to open up the country to more international thought, to remove some of the restrictions on how people are allowed to behave and act, to remove some of the restrictions on the information that they're allowed to get. There are people, not just people you know, in their own homes quietly, but people in the government who are slowly moving towards this these goals. And these people are being, um, there are people who are working against them as well within that government. There are hardliners in the government who are working against those reforms. And there is, I won't say a war or a revolution, that's too strong of a word, but there is certainly an active movement within that country where young Iranians who have internet, who who can clearly see what's going on on CNN, they, they get 
Al Jazeera and they get BBC and they get news from all around the world and they, they know what's going on. These aren't people that have been kept in some sort of box where they have no idea what's going on in the world. These are people that are highly educated. They've been to school. They're highly literate. They're looking at what's going on in the world and they're trying to reform their government, but they're trying to do it in a way that doesn't involve some sort of uh, armed revolution that's going to get them all killed. And they're doing that because they've got a really good idea of what happens when you do that because everyone else around them has done that thing and it's worked out really poorly. It is clear that the actions of the Iranian government do not accurately represent the will of the Iranian people. And I know that doesn't sound like... I know that's nothing big. It's not a huge statement. But I'd like to make that a bigger statement and say, you know what... The actions, and, and me as a representative of America that goes to all kinds of countries and has to answer questions from pissed off Germans and French people who are like, why did you elect Trump? Why are you so stupid? Why did America do this? And my answer is always, the actions of the American government do not always reflect the will of the American people, certainly not the will of all American people. There's a more complex story behind this. And when you start hating on America and saying that all Americans are dumb rednecks and our government is terrible and blah, 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 as an American, please let me tell you, that's not true. There are intelligent Americans. There are well-thought-out Americans. There are people that are unhappy about what's going on. Some of the biggest protests in the world against what's happening in the American government is happening from American people. There is a difference of opinions in America. And when you make a statement like America thinks this or America does this or America is this, you're falling into that high school team approach. America doesn't do anything. America doesn't think anything. America is hundreds of millions of people with hundreds of millions of opinions and thoughts and ideas. And a lot of those hundreds of millions of people don't like what they see and they're trying to change it. And some of those hundreds of millions love what they see and they're supporting it. Trying to make a generalization about what America will or won't do is, is it's folly. I could say the same thing about Iran. I'd say the same thing about North Korea. I could say the same thing about Thailand or China or the Philippines or Japan. Right now in Japan, there's a government that's trying to repeal a part of their constitution, a part of their constitution that's been there since World War II that does not allow them to engage in war. It's a wonderful constitution. It's a wonderful idea that Japan constitutionally is not allowed to fight unless it's attacked. They're trying to get rid of that. But you know what? Walk around Japan and talk to a bunch of Japanese people. They're not real pleased about that. And in fact, Abe's government is is facing huge resistance to this idea because the will of the government does not accurately reflect the will of the people. That is true here in Japan, one of the foremost democracies in the world. It's true in America, and you know what? It's true in Iran. And when we start talking about Iran does this, or Iran thinks that, or we have to hate Iran, or they're part of the axis of evil, or whatever, we have to be very clear and very careful and say, yes, there are people in Iran who want bad things, who are doing bad things. And there are people in Iran who are working against the people who want bad things and are doing bad things. And this is a complex situation, and it's something that most of us in the rest of the world honestly aren't qualified to have an opinion on. I feel a little trepidation having opinions on American affairs, because America is so complex. And I've been an American for 44 years. I feel very concerned having strong opinions about Japanese politics. And I've lived here for over a decade. For me to start saying, I know what Iran thinks or Iran does, this is dangerous ground, but it is the ground that they want you to be in. When the hardliners of Iran make 
ridiculous decisions and do ridiculous things. Part of the reason they want you to do that is because when they can create an us versus them narrative, when they can create a narrative that America hates Iran, then the hardliners of Iran have a wonderful excuse to say, see, we're the guys who are on your side. America is the enemy and we're on your side. And that's a very difficult argument for them to make unless we play along. And this is true not just for Iran, but it's true for the rest of the world. Now, it's 20 minutes in, and I haven't talked a damn bit about games or entertainment. And this is a podcast about games and entertainment. And some of you are wondering, my God, why am I listening to this political screed from some guy who makes video games? A, what does he know? And B, why the fuck do I care? Why does this matter to me? I'm going to tell you a story, and it's actually kind of a nice story. Um, For those of you who know, I am involved with a charity that works in Nepal. We build schools for children in villages way up in the Himalayas. I'm very proud of being part of this charity. And by the way, if anyone wants to donate, there'll be links in the you know podcast and whatnot. But in any case, I was up in the foothills of the Himalayas as part of this charity, doing uh, you know going up to see the schools that we were building. And we were walking along this road. Now you have to understand, to get to this road where we were, you have to take a plane from Kathmandu to this little tiny airstrip called Badrapur, which is just, it's just literally like a strip of grass with a hut next to it. It's, it's a, well, okay, it's bigger than a hut. It's a crappy little airport. Um, not a big airport by any stretch of the imagination. When you get to this airport, you get in a Jeep and you have to drive about two days on, you know, increasingly crappy roads to get to Tapaljung, which is the, the, the trailhead where you have to get out of the Jeep and start walking. And from where you have to start walking, it's a good two or three days walk to get to the place where this story takes. So, so you would have to struggle to find anywhere more in the middle of nowhere. And where we are, there are no roads, there's no sewage, there's no electricity, there's no phones, there's no nothing. There's nothing up there but rocks and lentil farms and goats. And we're walking along this path and coming towards us through the lentil farms is this old lady, and she's from the the Limbu tribe. She's a from uh, which is one of the local tribes there in that part of uh, northeastern Nepal. And she's she's dressed in in full Limbu fashion. She's got the you know, the the you know some tattoos on her. She's got the sort of it kind of looks like an Indian sari Limbu robe on. She's got this big huge uh, nose ring in because they wear these big huge nose rings. She's got a bunch of uh, rings in her ears and stuff. She's a very I mean she, you if you had told me that you know if you'd taken a picture of her and made it black and white and told me that it came from 1820, I would totally have believed it. I mean she she looks like she just jumped out of an issue of National Geographic. She's coming down the the path towards us and she's got this big huge basket in one of the you know it's the the temp line baskets where they you know they hold it with their head and it's on their back and it's full of she must have like 30 or 40 kilograms of, of firewood back there and she's, she's easily 65 70 year old woman carrying this big huge thing of firewood and then behind her she's got this kind of trail of goats you know and she's leading the goats and carrying the firewood to her village and again, it could have been a scene from the 1800s, 1700s. Shit, no, nothing has changed in you know this scene for hundreds of years. Except, I noticed that she's fiddling around with something in her hand. She's not looking in front of her. She's you know she got one walking stick in one hand, and in the other hand she's kind of messing around with something. And I'm wondering what what's. And as I get closer to her on the trail, I realize it's a cell phone. She's got like a cheap Android cell phone in her hand and she's messing around with this cheap Android cell phone. And I'm thinking to myself, I haven't had cell phone service for days. What the hell is she doing on her cell phone? And so as I pass her on the trail, I look down. Chick is playing Angry Birds. 
there in the mountains in the middle of nowhere. She's in the middle of a game of Angry Birds. And I'm and, and a I was a little impressed because you know Angry Birds is is uh, uh, landscape and not portrait mode, which is hard to play with one hand. So I was impressed that she was doing that with one hand just off the bat. But chick was playing Angry Birds. What the hell, right? I mean, out here in the middle of nowhere. And I thought to myself, as the entertainment industry and and the games industry, we go everywhere. When I was in Iran, and I asked, you know, what games are really popular? What what's the what's the top game here? Clash of Clans. Clash of Clans is huge in Iran. This is an Iranian game. These people are playing our content. These people are being involved. When I asked, you know, hey, what's what's really popular? What what content is really popular? If I if I were to pick up a license, and, and my thinking was, you know, there must be some sort of local Iranian license, some local Iranian TV show or something like that that we should be looking into. And they were like, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, if you really wanted a, a license, people love it's Game of Thrones. People here love Game of Thrones. I was like, Game of Thrones has nothing to do with, you know, if you think about Iran and Muslim culture and conservative culture and yeah, blah, blah, blah. Come on, there's nothing conservative about Game of Thrones. I mean, somebody gets laid or killed every three minutes in that show. I'm thinking that that's what people in headscarves wear. That makes no sense. But but it is what people watch and it is what people do there. It's we are part of a world community of culture. And as people in the entertainment industry we are spreading that world culture all around the world. The messages that we're creating go all around the world. And I have to ask, are we, are we sending the right messages? Because maybe my government, maybe the American government and the Iranian government, maybe they don't see eye to eye. Maybe they don't talk to each other very much. Maybe they are enemies. Maybe for them it is us versus them. But for me, a guy who makes video games for mobile phones, and for some guy in Isfahan... Uh, Iran, who loves to play mobile games on his handphone, there's no us versus them for us. It's just us. We're making games and playing games. And for us, the profit is not in making them think that we're different or making them think that we're the enemy. For us, the profit, and I, I don't mean profit in some sort of highfalutin, you know, oh, you know, unicorns and rainbow sense. I mean in hard, cold cash. I mean money. I make more money when more people can play my stuff. And have my stuff available to them. This is profitable to me. And Iranian developers and people who are making stuff in Iran are more profitable when their government allows them to export things and when they are allowed to show us what they build and their culture and I buy their stuff. And from that profit, from that actual money profit, comes the greater thing, which is a world in which we are all us and which we are all sharing culture and we are all sharing something. We are moving and the, the, the hardliners and the fundamentalists and everyone else is trying so hard to keep us from getting there. But the people who are on the front lines for the fight of moving to a single world culture where we can all interact and we can all buy each other's stuff and we can all share ideas. It's us in the entertainment industry. And I feel really good about that. You know, some some days I think to myself, wow, I just made a game where I you know, move stuff around and you know, match three. And what does that matter? Does this achieve anything? Have I done anything good for the world? You know, maybe I should be a doctor or an architect or somebody who builds hospitals or saves babies or some shit like that. And I don't do any of that. I make video games. We're making a video game right now where you move armies around in a fantasy world. And what does it matter? Who cares? It matters because when people share in that culture, they become part of a larger thing. They become part of a world culture. They interact. 
They get online, they get in World of Warcraft, and they put together clans, and they put together groups, and they chat with each other online. And people who do those things, it's really difficult to convince those people to climb into a tank and kill each other. So I feel good about what I do, and that's what I wanted to talk about today. And while certainly there are bad people in Iran, and there's bad people in North Korea, and there's bad people in China, and you know what? There's bad people in the United States of America, and there's bad people in Canada, and there's bad people in Norway. It doesn't matter where you go. There are going to be people who are bad, and some of those people are going to be in the government. And unless you're hopelessly naive, you have to understand that the world is full of dangers, and it's full of people who want to mess with you. They want to jump out of a van and attack you with a knife because they want to further their us-versus-them world. And if we respond to that by saying, no, nah, I'm not going to go to that convention because I'm not really sure it's safe, or I'm not going to go because I don't want to support the Iranian government, we're following their narrative. We're doing what they want us to do. When we answer that by saying, I don't know if I like Muslims, or I, I don't feel like, like Catholics are on my side, or I, I, I think that the, the feminist movement is working against me. When we start creating all of these us versus them narratives, and we fall for that, we're playing into their hands. And we don't have to do that anymore because we're a hell of a lot smarter than that. So that's what I had to talk about today. I hope that wasn't too preachy, but it is something I felt strongly and I wanted to get out there. I hope I didn't offend anybody with that. And I hope somebody listened to the end of that because it was like 20 solid minutes of politics and God knows that's boring. If you like what you're hearing here, I've got a Discord. It's linked in the Podbean information section. So go check that out. Come tell me if you're happy, if you're sad. I like what you have to say. You're full of shit. Whatever. I'm happy to hear it. I'm just... I get lonely when nobody says anything. So come tell me something. If you're enjoying these and you think somebody else might enjoy them, by all means, link it on Facebook, link it on Twitter, put it wherever. Let people know that we're out here and we're doing this thing. Maybe more people are into it. If you're enjoying this and you want some more, I've got some great interviews coming up with people from Iran, developers from Iran. I've got people from across the, the Middle East, North Africa region coming to talk to us about their games. I've got people from Europe. I've got people from North America. And I've got, I guess, some more pleasant and fun, frivolous thoughts about my trip to Iran, including some more stories and whatnot. I hope that's all interesting, and I hope to see you guys on the next episode.